0: Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox.
1: We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show.
0: Jordan, what's good, Samuel, bro?
1: Well, what's up? Man,
0: we're interrupting
1: each other. We so excited to talk to each other. Look.
0: Hey! <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now that we got that out of the way, uh, who we got who we got lined up for today?
1: We have International Marketing Manager at Columbia Records, uh, Tori McHugh. So her past experience includes working for media and touring divisions at Move Forward Music and on the digital marketing team at Def Jam Recording. So um, today we get into what makes a great digital marketing campaign, um, including the importance of establishing an artist's brand while marketing. I think a lot of people think that marketing revolves solely around the music. And obviously, there's a big portion of that that people forget, which is the person themselves. And we kind of get into that when, when we uh, present her with a, with the a scenario that I'll let you explain in a little bit. Um, we also talk about bridging the gap between domestic and international campaigns. So I think something that I was super interested in going into this is when you live in the US, how do you create successful international campaigns? and And what do you need to know before planning an international campaign? So we get into all that. What do you think, Sam?
0: Yeah, I thought it was good. I really enjoyed towards the end of the conversation, kind of instead of just going basic Q&A, diving into like some situations. I think we've brought up the situation before, but able to get her perspective on how she would allocate a $100,000 marketing budget towards trying to break an artist who's releasing an album in late spring. Uh, I kind of dropped some of my perspective on the topic as well. I um, also really liked her perspective on balancing the different channels across the promotional mix from radio to PR to digital. So it's great to really hear that. And I think lastly, even outside of the work she's been doing at uh, Columbia, I mean, she had the opportunity to work with and help be part of the marketing campaigns for GZ. Uh Danny Lay, Osama shake fabulous. Uh, she's got a lot of really valuable experience. And I think uh did a good job distilling it into some potent little nuggets of wisdom today. So without any further ado, uh, do want to jump into this week's episode. So let's get it. Hey Tori, how's it going?
2: It's going good. How about you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for thanks for virtually coming out, Sam and I. Um, we do miss seeing people in person, but it's much easier to record these interviews when people can stay at home. So a blessing and a curse. So so glad we were able to get you on here.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's so much fun, and you know, it's the perfect time to really sit down and listen to these two.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll cut that and and uh and make it a a, a marketing a part of our next marketing campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess just for starters, like, you know, what is your day to day look like in your role to kind of lay down the fenda- uh, foundation for uh, what people can expect from this interview?
2: Um, So right now, I work on the international marketing team at Columbia Records, and I'm an international product manager. So if you're familiar with the product manager role, it's quite similar. Um, But the only difference is I'm not, I work on the international side and all of my partners are overseas. So that's, that includes Canada, that includes Europe, Asia, Africa, just, and which is crazy, because I didn't realize that one person before I took this job had to kind of like man (laughs) the whole entire world. Right. But here I am. It's possible. <laughs> so, what are some things
1: you kind of have to learn when you're thrown into that situation? Just about different territories. Um, how do you kind of keep yourself up to speed? Because I mean, honestly, the U.S. in itself is is a lot. So the rest of the world as a territory is probably overwhelming. Sometimes I would imagine.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I let you learn pretty fast is to keep up to date with just current events in different places, like which sounds like so boring and like, you know, and when do you have time to like read like, you know, the news in the UK and everything. But, you know, you really can get into some trouble because, you know, even though I'm working like completely U.S. Based artists, um, we're still trying to capture fans in these markets. So right. a perfect example was, you know, I think like maybe a few months ago there was a big situation in Sweden where pretty much everyone was um, took the day off because they were protesting something that has to do with women's rights and fertility. Um, and that was something that would be a, a terrible time to try and push Polo G or something like, that. like <laughs> They'd be like, uh, no thanks. So you kind of have to, you know, similar with how in the U.S., you're not going to try and like, you know, Push, you know, drop any music today during the inauguration or something, or maybe it's a good day too. You have to be really like strategic. <laughs>
0: Donald about Trump that. is probably like skyrocketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, like, I heard
2: the Lil Wayne thing, and I was like, maybe there's <laughs> music dropping today. Yeah, you know, Kodak too. I, I was looking <laughs>
0: pulling for this like Kodak Black pardon, but I don't right. Know, I don't talk know talk about a marketing campaign, right? Lil Wayne gets gets
1: uh gets, gets some marketing in favor for a, for for Donald Trump in in favor for a pardon. I feel like that whole thing was planned, but, but 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 anyway.
2: I'm, like, trying to figure out how Kodak Black entered this agreement. <laughs> like, did, did, did like Trump ask Wayne, like, yo, if you could pardon anywhere. Like. Hopefully that's
0: how the conversation went. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's exactly how the conversation went. Let's not downplay Kodak's, uh, the, the fact that this man is a true icon of our generation, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not all
2: gonna. some memes, like, they're like Bobby Schmurda sitting yeah. there thinking, like, like, what did I like? Just, but, yeah, but yeah so it's super important just to be cognizant of what the landscape is like. Um, But then on top of that is just really being a good communicator and listening. um, And a big part about what I do and why someone, why it's important to have someone like me at the record label is to kind of explain the different nuances between the artists that I'm working with. Like, you know, for example, I, I work Polo G to an American Chicago rap and drill, that all makes a lot of sense to, you know, the general music fan. But Mm -hmm. over in other countries, they just, they don't really know what, they might not know what Chicago is. Like, you know, I think, so explaining you know let's say if that's not a good um the best kind of segue to get these fans to you know be into into a certain artist what can we kind of tap into um so yes it's kind of like knowing being a good listener communicator um and just also being conscious of different trends around the world right
1: how do um how do international campaigns and Domestic campaigns. How do those two teams or parts of the company interact with each other, and what does that kind of look like in in execution?
2: So I work very, very closely with the U.S. team, like the U.S. product manager is the person that I'm like really hitting up just to kind of understand. Okay, what are the goals of the U.S. campaign, and which ones can we like, you know, it like in an Anglo or, or English speaking market, it, it's going to be more similar, not completely similar, but it's like good. It's like a a closer bridge let's say but then like you know for a different country like does this artist even make sense in latin america like has this type of music really historically um been popular there how and if it has been how can we tap into that so it's it's just like a lot of different conversations i talk with the uspr team very closely streaming we're working um all together but the thing that's interesting is I do have like different counterparts. Like I have a PR person in in each market. I have a salesperson in each market, a digital person in each market. So I'm kind of like the liaison, like the U S publicist doesn't wouldn't really talk to the UK publicist. They'd all kind of go through me.
0: That's amazing. So when it comes to like, uh, you've identified a series of markets, maybe there's uh, like an artist that's doing well in the States and you want to tap into UK and some of the other surrounding countries um, like what are some of the different kind of areas of focus when you are like growth levers, if you will, that really do try like kind of build up traction in these different international markets?
2: I mean, these days it's it's very similar to US. Like we'd use a lot of just streaming data, um, digital trends, like you know, and well, so I'm saying
0: for like, okay, like you've made the decision you want to go into UK, what are you actually doing in order to help this artist build traction in the UK?
2: Oh, okay. So like, so let's say if it's like an artist that has a really good, like, like they, we feel like there's potential for them to be a press darling. Like it would be enlisting. Okay. These are our targets trying to get a really good press run now, with the pandemic it's, in the beginning it was sort of like, what's this going to look like? Cause I've only ever worked at Columbia during the pandemic, which is also a weird, like different type of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing press runs virtually, which is which allows artists to kind of get a lot done, um, in short periods of, time and then on top of that we're doing we're running digital campaigns the only difference is we're targeting um influencers specific to these markets we do radio promo runs virtually as well um so it's very it really depends on the market but the u.s and um i mean the uk we're doing like radio like that that's kind of the market that's the most similar to the u.s i would say so we're doing like if it's if a song is like top you know on the top 40 pop radio that's what we're going for like in the uk like it's it kind of mirrors it in a way
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense um one thing you mentioned too is with regards to like influencer strategy and how you kind of localize the strategy for the the markets you're really trying to build traction and i'm curious when it comes to influencer strategy because i know like it's no secret that there's a lot of songs that are like truly blowing up on tiktok um but it's not for every song. And there's also probably lots more money that gets spent marketing songs, trying to blow them up on TikTok that end up flopping. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, like when it, what what constitutes a good influencer strategy um, when it, yeah, I'll start there. Like, how do you define And, and what are kind of the, the core attributes of a successful influencer strategy?
2: I mean, to me, like, based on like my work when I was on the digital side at Def Jam and then seeing it on this perspective on the global side I think conversation is really what's you know obviously there's the technical things like if it's a TikTok campaign and you have like like you know an influencer posted and after they posted a whole bunch of more creations were created that's like you know the a clear metric but for me, it's also like, did this trend seep onto Twitter? Are they talking about it there? Are they talking about it on Instagram? Are people just sharing it across the board and really talking about it? Um, which is why I think, like you know, for example, the Busset Challenge is a great is a great example of a you know a TikTok campaign or whatever. If it was organic or whatever, that really is successful because it's not limited to just TikTok.
0: For sure. And then when it comes to what creates that success? Like what do you feel are the important things to focus on so that way you do get those outcomes you were just speaking to?
2: I think it's finding the right creator and the and or the right trend and really just and sometimes that could be like, Um, a really niche thing that kind of like because I think nowadays there's no such thing as niche like niche communities kind of are quite big and then they just catch on and they kind of move into like you know sort of like just like an onion like different layers of people start to like catch on to it and then it becomes bigger like for example I wouldn't be surprised like you know the it challenge like probably started with a very particular and niche type of scene of kind of like that girl who likes to have a lot of fun and is into makeup and is a baddie. Like, you know, they probably weren't thinking that like moms or whoever would eventually or pregnant women or whatever would eventually do it, but they were just focusing how can we get these baddies to do this challenge. Um <laughs> and then now moms and random people are doing it. So so yeah, I think it's kind of really just super serving that core like person. And then it grows.
1: I hope, I hope at some point during that meeting, they literally said, how can we get these baddies to do this challenge? <laughs> I, hope that, I, hope that, I hope that literally came out of somebody's mouth.
2: I've totally been in like the most cringiest meetings, not where I work now, like in the past, to not just incriminate anyone, but where you're just sort of like, first of all, do you know what a baddie is, or did you just like read it on Twitter the, right before this meeting?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, especially at like larger companies, um, there's there's got to be people that are trying to keep up with trends oh, in yeah, a way like... that's like not super organic to how they generally keep up with things.
2: Or like, they're just in a completely like, you know, certain departments, like people just don't, it people just have worked there for years. So then they're like, they're still in the meetings and they don't really need to know. Like, but sometimes they want to participate in conversation and you're like, <laughs> keep that, just keep it.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, cool. I want to also cover some things that you did at Def Jam. Um, oh, yeah. So, so um I guess actually before we do that, you spoke to us about a current campaign that you're working on. Um, if you can bring that up and just kind of talk about generally at a high level, uh, the things that you're doing for that, I think that'd be great.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I've been working on 24 Karat Golden. He's one of the artists that's on my roster. That's that's how... Um, my role is structured it's split between a bunch of the other product managers on my team Mm -hmm. um so one of the you know when I first started working at Columbia he was it was right around the time his track City of Angels had just come out and you know that kind of really exposed me to how you know incredible and how smart of a just you know digital native for lack for a better word he um 24 karat gold himself is um because you know right before i joined valentino was kind of a song that had gone you know that had gone a lot of traction based on um, a tiktok dance uh-huh. um, and that was completely organic and and after that whole situation, and mind you that like he's very very um you know there's certain things that happen organically but then artists can kind of do things and really interact with the creators and the trend to to, uh, to what I believe kind of make it bigger. And he's like the perfect artist to do that. He really leaned into the creator and like, you know, and kind of studied like this art. So by the time I joined, by the time City of Angels came out, he had a pretty good idea of how like songs can move. And he had a really big hand in the campaigns for, mm. uh, for that song. And he himself, like if, if you noticed, like, he participated in the challenge. He like did the dance, he interacted. And that was kind of around the t- time, um, Charlie demelia was like, get it. Yeah. You know, she was at her peak where like anything she would do a dance to would just like go crazy. So she ended up doing a dance. It just kind <laughs> of like went like berserk. And, um, so yeah, so that kind of exposed me. Okay. This guy is someone who, um, knows the space really well. So, you know, a couple, he released another single called Unbelievable. That was more of a down-tempo R&B track uh, with Cash Page, which is funny because I actually, like, first was introduced to 24 Karat Golden through Cash Page when I was working here at Def Jam. Like, they, like, we ha- they bumped into each other at Audio Mac on an Audio Mac artist visit. She was like, oh, this is my friend Golden. Damn. So, it's weird how things ended up panning out. Um, and then, so, he dropped Mood. And Mood was one of those songs that when I and initially heard it, I knew like it was a special song. I could not get it out of my head. Um, I'm super into ha- like that kind of weird intersection between hip-hop and emo, like kind of to where Trippy Red and Indiore <laughs> and all these guys are kind of like, you know, really just being like, I don't give a fuck about genre, let's just do what we're doing. So I knew this was special. Um, but I definitely I don't think anyone could have foreseen how this track could have exploded the way it did. And a large part of it, you know, was like obviously like the US fan base and that, you know, it's a very like emo. And R&B and all that and that kind of whole like mesh is a very yeah. American thing but I think because the song was so catchy and it was so like it was just an earworm those are the types of songs I think resonate really well overseas so so international was like a really big focus of the campaign mm. especially once we started to like see like the um, the streaming metrics after like the first week and then it really started taking off once the video came out though um, and then you know it started moving on TikTok and, you know, that's where we kind of like really tapped into each of the markets. Like Australia is a market that leaned in really heavily. And we that was a, tar- a big target of the campaign. Germany stepped up really crazy. Um, UK for sure, obviously. Um, and then it started going crazy in Asia. And, you know, everyone kind of like had a hand in adding fuel to the flame of the campaign, which was super awesome. And and it led to like, you know, it was t- number one in I think it was in like 12 or 13 markets for over like five weeks, like literally just hold holding And in Australia, it's still, I think on its 12th week at number one, which is nuts. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it just goes to show, I feel like a lot of the the biggest records that are happening, especially like during the quarantine, I feel like are huge on a global scale. And I think people are starting to realize that.
1: So, what are some of those foundational components that you need in order to build such a successful campaign? You you mentioned fuel to the fire, and I feel like those are probably activations or or parts of the campaign that happen at a later stage. But what's what's some of the foundational components um, that are involved in in allowing people to add fuel to the fire to to kind of amplify it at some point?
2: So for um, so for for me and in, in this particular again, in a campaign like this, it, it would be like kind of two things. Like, you know, the song is moving and it's moving fast. So you kind of need to like react to it, whether it's, you mm-hmm. know, amplifying on the digital side, whether it's, you know, doing active. I mean, it's kind of hard to do activations like during a pandemic, but um, <laughs> it would include in a normal world, like activations, like physical activations. Um, and in this case, it's like different, like whether it's like contests or digital digital kind of like um, websites or, or different things to kind of like get fans to really like experience something in connection to the song um, as well as like radio promo and and stuff like that but on top of, like, reacting to a song that's moving really fast, I think the other really important part is trying to really catch up and build the artist's actual profile so that mm. it's not just a song by itself. And to me, what's what's really important is, you know, getting the right champions and, you know, getting him to do the right interviews that can kind of, like, tell people who is this artist, like, why, what's upcoming for this artist, like, you know, who, like, what, um, what's coming next for this artists so that way fans could actually care about 24 karat gold and as an artist versus just like a one-hit wonder or like just that song mood um so yes so it's kind of like a two-prong approach and i think that most marketing you kind of have to do that in this day and age because we've seen so many artists and songs Especially again, this pandemic. Like, there's literally artists who have had a hit and then have disappeared off the face of the earth. All <laughs> in the confines of this pandemic. And you like, <laughs> and obviously that's an awesome thing to at least have a hit under your belt. But like, you don't really want just to have like you know just to have one hit and just go
1: away. Right. So it's it's about making sure that there's enough context around the artist. Right, um,
2: telling their story. And some of it is like, you know, it, it it could be creating the right content, too. I think that's why, like, even mm. on the artist side, um, now nowadays it's so important just for them to really be their own kind of, like... I feel like that's why it's hard for media to really kind of be as relevant because artists can kind of just cut out the middleman and tell their story themselves. And a lot of that, like, type of content and, like, digital storytelling is is what matters globally too. Like someone like Sweetie, you know, all the things that she does on, on her own and is like the type of things that it's no different. That's why she's like, you know, on her way to becoming more global. I don't know how her music does like across on um, um, globally, but I think it's only a matter of time.
0: Right. Yeah. I want to peel back one thing there as well, because you kind of alluded to the importance of story and how the story is what helps ensure that you're not just having these flash in the pan moments, but you're really enlisting fans in this kind of longer term adventure. What, uh, can you make, um, like, what constitutes a good story? Cause I know like PR people say like, it's all the story and like storytelling is the most underrated skill in business. like, It becomes this very lofty thing, but like tactically speaking, what constitutes a good story from your perspective?
1: I guess it kind of also ties back to the profile that you just said. So, so what's an appealing profile? I think that, I think that kind of, I think that kind of, uh, connects there kind of organically as well. Like how do you build that profile in in order for people to buy into the story and do it and do it in a way that's appropriate for their brand?
2: I would say, like, you know, really knowing who your early or first fans are and kind of also knowing who you you want. And sometimes, like, the artists themselves, they might have a a completely different perspective of who their fan is than who it actually is by looking, you know, about looking at who's talking about them online. Like, looking at, um, you know, who's really, like, where are these views coming from? Like, you know, stuff like that. So you can kind of, like, take that kind of metrics and and just even just to me it's more qualitative like analysis versus like quantitative um and seeing that and making sure that you're you know super serving them like you know for example like if if you're like you know when you're choosing the different certain influencers like there's certain influencers that make sense for um a woman that you wouldn't really for a female artist that you wouldn't really you know think like like a perfect example would be and when we worked with danny lay um the when she first came out she kind of like had her biggest splash by doing that drake's um shiggy challenge she was like the person who invented the jumping out of the car and doing and like kind of ghost riding the whip so (laughs) (laughs) so so she So that was kind of like, people knew that dance content, like that people, that was obvious. Like we were definitely going to tap into that dance community, but how could we kind of expand to further than that while also making sure she's like super serving them. So we never abandoned anything like, you know, dance campaigns, like were some of the biggest bench, like benchmarks of her, like campaigns um like she when she did like the Aliyah Janelle dance video she like that really like caused a really big increase in streams for little baby but also it's kind of like what are some new communities that like might not be like super tapped in right now but we know could be and you know one of the the communities that we looked into was the makeup and cosmetics industry where like you know how can we know that she Danny herself is really into that and we know that like you know Danny's music is fun and a lot of the times when you know these cosmetic influencers are doing their content they're always need music or they're always into kind of like bridging the two worlds so we just like did some research and look like kind of, and your know, research in digital lots of times just means like looking on the internet. So, so, <laughs> so we were like looking for like influencers who may have already used Danny's music accidentally. And when, so we were like scrolling back and we found Nikita Dragoon, who at the time was pretty big, but like now she's even like even more like massive, but we were like, okay, so she definitely has some type of buy-in for Danny, even if it's just she liked that song or whoever played it in the background, let's just like play and let's just dance to it or whatever. So we reached out to her and created like a really, you know, we introduced them to each other and we wanted to kind of like make it organic because at the time, like it was, both of them were still kind of like, you know, like new to like, the. they're just kind of like Danny is someone who really wanted, who really doesn't like things to be too contrived. So we kind of just Mm. introduced them to each other and, um, and it ended up being like a really cool like friendship that, you know, organically led to, you know, just them showing each other love. And sometimes like just like showing each other love in each other's socials is something that could really like make an impact. So that's kind of like an example of really tapping into a different like vertical in, in sort of a sort of organic way.
1: Right. And. Uh, you said you tapped into the that space because it made sense for Danny. Does that revolve around conversations with Danny and like seeing what's appropriate for her and what she's down with, or like because that's something that I think is difficult when I think about marketing artists, which is super serving your current fan base versus getting into those other verticals and kind of how to split the time between the two and the resources between the two. So, what kind of goes into the decision? Not just to go into another vertical because that seems a little bit more clear, but what kind of goes into the decision of how much time and resources will be spent doing that versus super serving your fan base. Does it have to do does it have to do with where they are currently in their career? Or
2: um, I mean, in this particular case, I mean, it's everything that like we do is always a, converse, a close conversation with artists and management. Right. And seeing, you know, what they, you know, what they feel about about it. You know, she wouldn't have agreed to like for us to like introduce them and meet up and stuff like that. Had she, you know, not wanted to tap into this world, but like in this particular case, they really wanted to tap into the beauty mm. community as well. Got it. Um, just because there's so much, you know, there's so many eyes and visibility, especially on YouTube, which was one of Danny's really like core uh, focuses of her digital campaign. Um, So, yeah, so I would say that it's, it's a conversation like, you know, some artists like she's, her and her team are someone who are really just trying like, they're always trying to be ahead of the curve and tapping into different things, especially in the digital space, which is the best, um, to work with when you're on a digital team, but there's totally like some teams that like, you know, they're very, you know, less is more to them. And they kind of just want to keep things like really um, just mysterious and stuff like that, which in that case, they would not want to do anything (laughs) like that. They'd be like, no, that's corny. I don't really want. No, like that's fake. Like, I, I don't want you to introduce me to anyone. Like what, if we meet naturally, that's fine. Like, you know, it really depends.
1: Cool. It kind of reminds me of we've had ARs on that they get people in the studio, but they obviously can't tell them what to write or how to write it. So they just put two people in the same room and hope things work out. <laughs> it kind of reminds <laughs> me of that. Um, wanted to give you a hypothetical just to kind of see where your head was at. So let's say you have $100,000 towards bu- building a sustainable career towards an artist in 2021 and they have an album dropping in, let's say, May. How would you allocate the budget throughout the year?
2: So I would. I would definitely. I mean, it would. I would look into what type of. Which is like literally complicated, but I would look into like what type (laughs) of artist they are. Like, let's say if they were um, a a woman rapper in 2020. And, and she was someone who, who was really, you know, trying to kind of like be in the mix between like the Cardi B, Saweetie, Lotto, all of those like ladies. I would know that a lot of, bu- of that budget would have to be towards video, like image, like just like making sure that they're looking the right way. But also that, but also keeping in mind, like at the same time, that you kind of like. You also have to be d- doing the r- having the right conversations in the background and doing the right, um, just like legwork on the bottom on the lower level. So I would say like, so so I would so so the question is how would I kind of spend that? $100? Yeah, yeah, it's super vague, <laughs>
1: almost for a reason, right? Also, feel you know, feel free to respond with questions too. Like you know, if if that, this isn't this isn't enough information on purpose. So, um, I might not be able to answer the questions, but if you respond with some questions that you would ask up front, that's also an answer as well.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Let's. So, I mean, I would spend like a good, like, I'd say like half of that on just content and making sure that what's going online looks and fits whatever this artist like wants to like show. Because I think right. that yeah, we're like in yeah. a we're in a very like, you know, content heavy, um, just like space, especially during like these times where literally no one can That's go all anywhere. We
1: got. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so it's like they need to kind of see what's on there. And then like, you know, I would spend like the rest of it pretty much. Trying to get the music where it's supposed to be. I like know absolutely nothing on how budgeting like on the A and R side goes. So it's just like, does this is a hundred k just for marketing, marketing or is the just music for already okay? Just for yeah, marketing. Just okay. for marketing. So, the, so this is assuming that the music is already perfect. So yeah, like I say, the music is perfect. Okay, <laughs> literally there's hits yeah. everywhere, features, <laughs> out the wazoo. So I mean, so I'd have to like. I have I'll,
1: say, I'll say it's as good as it can be at the stage that they're at, wherever, whatever stage that is. It's not It's not an issue. You're not really thinking too much like, oh, damn, how are we going to market this record? It's not that good. You don't have any thoughts like that.
2: Okay, I'm also going to assume that in this hypothetical scenario, all the features are friends with this artist, so they're not charging anything to be in the video. So, so yes. Yeah, so <laughs> that's keep a, that's it. a good thing to bring up. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so they're friends with with her, with this hypothetical Um, female rapper that we're going to talk about. So half of it (laughs) is, you know, to the branding and visuals. And then I'm going to do, I guess, a quarter of it for banking it up for the radio campaign. So we want to like really... Once we choose, like, the proper single, I really want to try and just, you know, whether it's, like, mix, like, you know, starting it up at mix show or, like... I know Urban Radio is expensive, um, so just making sure that we have a lot there. And then the rest would be towards a really good publicist, um, whether it's, like... she, This would be signed to a record label, right? Yes. So... Mm, okay, so I guess I'll just assume that the, that there's a really good publicist working at this hypothetical label. So, so yeah, or so. you can you can kind of
1: answer both too. So if, they, if they're not if they don't have a publicist, you'd put it to publicity. but if they didn't have a publicist, you
2: know, Yeah, like I definitely I, I definitely would want like someone to really hyper focus and really re- be really knowledgeable about the spaces where this lady should live. Um, so yeah, I'll put some to publicity for sure. Um, and even if like even if there was a, a a really great publicist at the label, sometimes it's good to kind of like have like you know two just like tag teaming. Um, so yeah, and then then the rest I would throw. Mm, I feel like I didn't throw enough to digital, which is like hands over there like no, I'll, you I'll didn't. Take, that's that's what I do. Away, <laughs> I'll, I'll take away some from radio and and give it to digital. So yeah, there we go. Cool, But digital, the thing is, though, with digital, like, I don't want to downplay digital because I just think it's, like, super duper important. But I'm hoping that the content will be so great that you won't have to, like, it will, there'll be some organic likeness that will make it easier.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, Sam, thoughts, man. You got, you have budgets, you have to allocate them as well. Yeah. Um, I feel like content is king is a a phrase you say a good amount as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the branding and that stuff is super important. I think uh, if you're a small artist, though, like I think if you're a big artist and you have great branding, then it will organically carry itself. But if you're a small artist that doesn't really have like a springboard audience, then per the point you made towards the end, like you definitely do want to have some like digital dollars to help ensure that you can reach the target fans. Cause otherwise you can't just uh, rely on the fact that an artist that has a couple thousand followers, 10,000, 20,000, it's not necessarily going to like go viral. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think over the course of a year, um, I think there release music consistently do small campaigns consistently around each of the different songs i think um if there is a song that feels uniquely suited for tiktok maybe allocate like a little slice of the budget towards there but i'd encourage only if that song is like suited to that platform because i think a lot of times labels are spending a lot of money on like tiktok influencers when there's like a unique sound to tiktok um i think the PR is cool for like the storytelling. We can't necessarily rely on the PR solely for reaching new people. I think like even in some of the conversations we've had, it's like P- PR is interesting for um, helping really construct the narrative. Yeah. But my profile. Necessarily... Yeah, exactly. Already. Which is great because it, it going back to your point earlier, Tori, as well, it's like that's having a clear, concise, compelling story is what creates longevity and fandom. Um so being able to supplement these like a flash in the pan TikTok moment with a more like substantial story that that shares more unique perspective around the, the unique thing this artist is bringing to the game and then where they come from, what they're trying to tell. Like that kind of goes hand in hand because one without the other might not necessarily really help catapult an artist. Um, so I'd say i put like probably i put like a fifth towards content. i put uh, probably like 40 percent, two fifths towards like um advertising both either like uh, maybe even like 60 percent towards advertising Damn. either native because that just get you're just guaranteeing exposure in front of new people <laughs> like i think the, the, the good content thing and this is like shout outs influencers native ads um yeah like i think it's just guaranteeing exposure in front of fans <laughs> like i think like you could pull back on like content quality a little bit and invest some more of that into actual like guaranteed exposure I think there's, you often more often see the issue of like people having like great content and a great story, but nobody to hear it. Um, and, uh, radio, radio is interesting. I think like radio definitely is like this interesting, like behemoth and like powerful force, but I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the, 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 the last part I put towards like playlisting and radio, um, yeah. I think,
1: I think radio is also like, uh. A- a black hole for a lot of people that don't work at labels and don't necessarily know how that works. I know, I know we had a, uh, someone on in radio um, about a year and a half ago and he, he was like very, very strict about the well, keys was he's going to give he, to us. We invited <laughs> him <laughs> on like this
0: man's job is to like run radio promotion at a very credible record label. <laughs> We're like, yo, is there anything we like can't really talk about? He's like,
2: radio promotion <laughs> <At the moment. laughs> yeah it's like it's it's literally it's the department that i'm still so fascinated about because yeah. you like you you hear about it in like documentaries and different books like all about the music business and you're like oh okay i see what you do <laughs> but then like when you talk to someone who's in radio like they just don't say anything <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly exactly I mean, it's, the just, stu- yeah it's interesting. I mean, it really is. And I think this is one of the things that like labels really do have. When well, I mean, you were speaking as well, as just like your strategy about trying to help an artist grow in international markets, you were saying like, like radio runs, press tours, like local press. It, it really is just a lot of like relationship development and nurturing relationships with curators at these different outlets and understanding their tastes. So when you are bringing something to them, it's like relevant and not just like, like, please promote this. And then there's like social games, like, uh, once they start seeing other stations play it you play it off it's like yeah look it's and then next thing ideally you're just like people know that this uh song is picking up picking up big time and there's like a like not putting it on your radio shows like costing you
2: yeah like it's 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 interesting because um you know it is like a lot of just especially during the pandemic where like you know before like these artists would be traveling to these different stations and like kind of having a lot of face time with the different DJs and everything. And, you know, now during the pandemic, it's just a lot of, you know, how can we try and get them as much face time and like, you know, just a relationship through the confines of not being able to travel. So, um, so it's been interesting to kind of just like really see how the music industry has, has adapted every single department to, um, this digital world. Um, but I think it's sort of impressive and it's nice to know that we were still able to kind of like carry on it as with most business, except for touring, which makes me sad.
1: Yeah. Well, touring will be back one day. I mean, it's sort of like there's there's these digital
2: shows that are going on.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) Cool. So yeah, um I think that's all we got for today. Want to thank you for coming on. Um Sam, we text during the interview to make sure that we're not overlapping on each other and he just said he was having a good time. So I'll say that I'll say that on the air. <laughs> so so glad glad that uh glad that we were able to get you to stop by virtually. Um and yeah, hope you hope you stay safe and healthy throughout all the craziness that's going on right now.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Like I I it's funny cuz like that whole like game with the 100k thing like I've never really like thought <laughs> in that because like you know before I worked um on the international side, I was completely just digital minded. Like I can yeah. like you know, I was like if you asked me like last year how much of that budget would go where it would go, I'd be like 100k to digital. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get academics to post it a million times. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> but but now, like, you know, I kind of I kind of am able to really, because I'm working with each individual department yeah. and I can kind of see how everyone really works with each other. Um, but I still, you know, have a soft spot for digital.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming out. And, uh, you know, stay safe out there.
2: You too, thank you guys.
0: You story, thank you so much. Have a good one, bye. Damn, well, that was a great episode, man. I I think, uh, really enjoyed hearing her perspective. I think she's been able to work with some incredible artists. I think thinking about how you're really kind of approaching the the, the balance of trying to build up a domestic fan base, but then making sure that if there are signals where something is really popping off in a certain market, you really leverage that and you, you go with it. Um, and nurture it and fan those flames. What do you think, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I mean, she answered a lot of the questions that I had going into it, which is just what are some things to look out for when you have an international campaign? Um, I don't have too much experience planning international campaigns myself, and I think she broke it down in a way that people can understand and consume. Also, Tori is just a delightful person to be around. So I'm just glad we got her on just to kind of, you know, not just just discuss, um, you know, music but also get into or or rather not just discuss uh you know questions but also get to debate about that 100k marketing budget that you that you brought up and 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 get to have a conversation about how each of us would spend the money i thought that was an interesting little side note um so yeah
0: no doubt well thank you all for tuning in thank you tori i appreciate each and every one of you we'll be back next week peace